Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Before, before we continue with the Midrash, Sefer Agadah, <clears throat> since today is Hanukkah, it's a good question that, that Sammy raised. And this is, what do, what do we find in the Midrash about Hanukkah? And the truth is that not only in the Midrash, also when you look at the Mishnah, the Mishnah mentions nothing about uh, Hanukkah. There's no tractate in the Mishnah dedicated to Hanukkah. You have a whole Masechet, a tractate dedicated to Purim. When you speak about Shabbat, you have two Masechetot, Shabbat and Aruvin, 34 chapters altogether. Uh, when, but when you look at the Mishnah, there's nothing. And uh, except for like, uh, you know, bypassing, Hanukkah heads the Kukla. Um, and also in the Gemara, in the Gemara, the whole discussion about Hanukkah is a couple of pages that come in Masechet Shabbat, the second chapter, and they speak about what, you know, the priority between Hanukkah and Shabbat. On the other hand, from outside sources, we have enough material. We have uh, Yosef ben Matityahu, uh, who wrote the history. We have the book of Maccabi, uh, Sefer HaMakabim, the book of Maccabees. We have outside sources that did not make it into the Tanakh. And it's a good question to, when you say, why, why didn't we have more discussion about Hanukkah in, the, uh, um, in, in Midrashic sources? So... Another you know, question, which could be you know, similar to that, and that is, uh, where is Masada? You know the story of Masada? Where is it in, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Midrash? We don't have anything about the Masada in the Midrash. And, and, and it's interesting because uh, the, uh, in, the, in the modern history of the state of Israel, both Masada and Hanukkah play a central role. But when you look at our, uh, so, so both Masada and Hanukkah are sort of like central ideas in the new uh, narrative of Zionism in the state of Israel, right? Shinit Masada Lotipol, Masada will not fall again. Um, and then they even t- took the idea of Hanukkah and twisted it to say that the establishment of the state of Israel was not uh, th- not due to a divine miracle. The famous poem called Anunosim Lapidim. I'm sure you know it, right? Belelot Afelim. Right? And then they say, Neslo Karal, Anunosim Lapidim, Belelot Afelim. We carry torches in dark nights. And the refrain is, Neslo Karalanu, Pach Shemen Lo Matsanu. The Basela uh, we, or we, we did not have a miracle, we did not find a jar of oil, we hit the rock and there was, there was light. Meaning that uh, we are recreating now here the state of Israel and, the, uh, and we perform the miracles. And that probably is the reason <coughs> why the rabbis avoided discussing Hanukkah altogether, I mean, or really. Uh, limited the discussion to as little as possible because they did not want to encourage people to be on the militant side. 
and they don't, did not want to glorify the idea of waging war against other nations. It was uh, part, it was just a, a realistic analysis of what was going around them. They realized, like we mentioned the other day, that the, uh, you, cannot, you cannot defeat the Roman Empire. You cannot repeat the, the, the success of the war against the Greeks. And if you continue in that manner, the, the, the nation will be annihilated. And they were right, because if you look the, at, the, uh, at the date, about in 160 before the Common Era, the war started, 156, uh, around that time the, the kingdom of the Hashmonim was established. In about 60 years, they became so corrupt, and they were like the Roman rulers. The, and then that's where you find, actually, one Midrash that refers to it, and it's in Masechet Bava Batra, the Gemara speaks about Herod. Herod was the, uh, the architect of, of the temple. He built the, the second temple, like we mentioned the other day, that the temple that we have today is mostly from the time of Herod. And Herod demolished parts of the Bet HaMikdash, parts of the temple that was built by the people who came back from Babel and rebuilt uh, in, in, seg- in segments the whole temple. And the Midrash says that, uh, and it's brought in Masechet Baba Batra, that Herod was Avda de Bet Hashmonai. He was a servant, a slave of the, of the house of Hashmonai. And uh, one day he heard a divine voice, so like a mini prophecy, that said, Kol avda de marid hashta matzlah. Any, any uh, slave who rebels now against his servant, against his masters, will succeed. So, katal uh, he got up and he killed, killed all of his masters, and only left one uh, young girl that he wanted to marry, and, but that girl did not want to marry him. So she went up the roof, and she raised her voice, and she said, Kol man de amar mi bet hashmonaika atina avdahu. Dela ishtaira minnehu elai olmeta. She says, anyone who comes and says that I am a descendant, a sign of the house of hashmonai, is a liar, is a, is a slave, because I'm the only one that remained alive, and I'm now throwing myself from the roof, and she did that, and she committed suicide. So this is, this is how the Midrash tells the story, which is uh, not what happened in reality. In reality, Herod was not a slave. Herod was the sons of uh, Antipatros. Well, you know, ne- next to Lot, not far, there was like Antipater, ne- next to Oshain in Israel. So Antipatros was his father. He was the governor of Edomia, of Edom, converted by the, by the Maccabee, by the Hashmonai kings. Herod was his son. Was uh, he had a high status? Not he was not a slave. He was a governor, and also a protege of the Romans. And he traveled back and forth between Rome and Israel. He was a he was a ruthless uh, ruler. He killed. He crushed the rebellion. There was a rebellion of the pious people in the Galilee, and he killed all the all the rebels. Thousands of people he massacred. Um, but he did marry Miriam who was from the family of Hashmonaim, and he did have children from her. So what the Midrash does, the Midrash, this is a uh, rewriting history. The Midrash is written a couple of hundred years after Herod, and they look back and say, for us, Herod is a slave. He came from Edomia, he never uh, 
he never uh, got free of that of that heritage. He destroyed the house of Hashmonai, meaning they look at it as uh, the fact that he married the daughter of Hashmonai but converted the whole house into a corrupt dynasty. He killed the house of Hashmonai. They also say that it was sort of a divine providence that helped him uh, embark on that path because it was a divine voice that came out and said, anyone who rebels against his masters will succeed. And, but they say, no one remained of the original house of Hashmonai. So this is, this is the history of, sort of like in a, in, a, in a nutshell of what happened and what, how the Midrash tells it. But the Midrash comes from a negative point of view, saying that the end of the house of Hashmonai was not, was not good. And there's another, uh, another statement which is also quoted in, uh, by Rabbi Moshe ben Ahman in his commentary to the Torah on the Pasuk Le'asur Shevet Mi'udah Mechokeki ben Raglav that the, uh, the staff of the ruler always belong to the tribe of Yehuda and he says this is where the, the Hashmonaim uh, uh, transgressed the, the prophecy because they were supposed to be from the tribe of Levi, they were supposed to be the religious servants, the servants of the temple, and not the kings, not the political rulers. And we see it until today. This is a, this is a very clever uh, distinction that's made by the Torah and later on repeated by the Midrash and the commentators that you must have a separation of church and state. In in the United States, there's allegedly a separation of church and state, and there still there still is influence, but it's. We could say there's a certain balance in Israel. There's no separation of church and state, and it's one of the one of the roots of of our problems. When the rabbinate tries to control how people get married, we know what is kosher, what is not, and limit people's activities on Shabbat. They had to be if they if they were of the mentality of live and not live, there would be mutual respect. People would respect more the Shabbat if you would not come and impose the Shabbat on them. But it's a different story. Like but. Already we see the, the idea in the, in the writing of the Ramban based on the Midrash. So that, that happens, like, like I said, 160, 150 before the common era, uh, for 100 years up at the time of Herod. In the year 67, the war, the great war, the great revolt that led to the destruction of the temple, 67 to, uh, to 69. So what exactly, which year was the, the final destruction? And then after that... Um, for three years, the Romans besieged Masada, and after that, after the the, the great revolt was was uh, under control, the Romans destroyed any any opposition, and like we, they even went after this last fortress of Masada with a couple of hundred people because they had to show the world that you do not oppose the Roman Empire. Anyone who does that will be destroyed. So, how long did it take the Jews? To, to get up again and fight the Romans after the year 70, uh, 73. Before Bar Kokhva, there was a, another small rebellion that was also very problematic, 112 to 115. It's called the Meredat Futsot, the rebellion of the diaspora. It started in Kirani, in the, in the Mediterranean, in the islands, and spread, but again, was crushed. And another, but Tishkot Aretz, in total you can say, but Tishkot Aretz, Shishim Shana. There was relative uh, calm for about 60 years up until 132. Who was after Bar Kokhba? After Bar Kokhba, there's nothing, that's it. The end. 132 to 135 is the famous revolt, the Bar Kokhba revolt. 
It's Kirini from North Africa. Yes, it? yeah. That's from the province of Libya. Yeah. Serenai. Kirini, yeah, Serenai. <coughs> so, uh, uh, and, Rabbi, and by the way, Rabbi Akiva, when he uh, campaigned for the Bar Kokhva revolt, visited Kirini as well. Uh, he visited North Africa, Rome, France, all the, all the Roman territories. Raising money, recruiting people to go fight against the Romans. In, in those 60 years, the Jewish community in Israel more or less was able to recover and rebuild itself and live under Roman, uh, Roman control. And they could have survived. They could have, they could have not maybe thrived, but they could have had a more a continuous uh, existence in the land of Israel. But with the Bar Kokhba revolt, 132 to 135, that was the end. After that, there was no way for the Jewish community to recover. Uh, when we know later on in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire started adopting Christianity. Then they had the, uh, Julian the Apostate uh, reversed it, but Constantine brought it back. And once the, the Christian religion became the religion of the Roman Empire, there was no way back. And the Yishuv in Eretz Israel, the community kept dwindling. They called off the, uh, the Romans... Um, banished the idea of the what is called the Nesiut, the presidency and the Bedin, all that. And the rabbis saw all that. I mean, in, in, in retrospect, they look back and they say, look what, what we did to ourselves. With the Greeks, we, we succeeded somewhat, but then we kept repeating the same pattern of fighting a force that is so much more powerful than us. This is not good. We have to, we cannot encourage people to do that. So they, they rewrote uh, parts of history and they did not write about certain things, so they, the rabbis do not promote the idea of Hanukkah. Uh, and if you look at Al-Nisim, Al-Nisim is all about, it's not about the war. It's not, the way the, the war is described Al-Nisim, Venatata, right? Rabim be'ad me'atim, giborim be'ad halashim, like the, the, the Greek, were, they were mighty, they were, uh, they were a multitude, and, and there was no way that this military victory could have been carried out without a miracle. So it's like there was a one-time miracle. Don't, don't try to repeat it. You can't order miracles. They come when, when Hashem wants them to come. So they played down the role of the battle and the, and the military campaign on Hanukkah. Nobody knows about that. If you go to any Talmud Torah or Yeshiva, what do they learn about? The kids are playing the dreidels while studying Torah. Right? So the, the whole strength of the war was about studying Torah. Today it's the opposite. The kids pretend to study Torah and they play under the table with the iPad. So uh, it's the reversal of, of faith. But, <clears throat> but um, they, the rabbis did not include the whole idea of the, of the military victory on Hanukkah. And for the same reason, they played down Masada. Not just because people committed suicide in Masada. Because that, that is not... One person committed suicide. No, he killed all the rest. Yeah, but they were willing to. So it's it's a, I mean, all the all the warriors in uh, in Masada were willing to die. So even if one person like Eliezer ben Elazar uh, ben Yair killed all the rest, but they were willing. So it's a, it's a kind of of, of of mass suicide. But it was not because of that. Because the rabbis do glorify other acts of of suicide, like this Miriam that I just told you about, or the case mentioned in the Talmud that that four hundred boys and girls were taken as slaves to, to Rome, and they knew that they were going to be used as sex slaves and be converted to idolatry, so they jumped into the ocean. And the rabbis do glorify that. So they say, if you want to sacrifice your life, your life 
for Kiddush Hashem or to avoid uh, transgressing Surah uh, uh, it's okay. But Masada, they did not like the story of Masada. Why? Because that was an act of defiance against the Roman Empire that they felt was unnecessary. So, so no, we, we take it all back into, uh, uh, into context. The reality was that Jews tried to be more uh, proactive and militant and fight against the Romans and it failed. And the rabbis, as a result, retracted and, and tried to be as uh, pacifist and neutral as possible. Unfortunately, in the future generations, people didn't understand that the, the Midrash was, uh, what you call it, time-sensitive. That it, was, it applied only to the, to the relationships between Jews and the Roman Empire. So they, we started uh, incorporating this kind of a, of a diaspora mentality that we always have to be under the heel of the oppressor, especially in Europe. And later, in the, we read once at the Shuvah of Rabbi Toledano, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Toledano, who was the chief rabbi in Egypt in the 1920s and later on became the uh, minister of, of religious affairs in the first government, wrote in the 1930s, early 1930s, he wrote that every yeshiva should have in its curriculum military training, military training, self-defense, uh, weapons, etc. And he said we should not have a repetition of the 1929 pogroms in Hebron, very, very powerful words. He says, why do we think that we have to be trodden uh, under, the, uh, uh, under the feet of, the, of our oppressors? We're not, we're not supposed to be slaves, but that was part of this mentality of, of eschewing any, any uh, proactive measure to try to, to oppose our, uh, our oppressors. So, long history, you know, it's of, of Hanukkah, when, when you ask me, like, uh, Sammy, why, or what does the Midrash say about Hanukkah, it was, the, the approach was, let's not speak about that, let's not, not encourage people to, uh, to wage war against the nations because it's going to be dangerous. For, a certain, for the certain period that it was stated in, it was good, it was important. Unfortunately, when it was projected over, you know, millennia, and definitely in the, you know, the 20th century where... Uh, and during the Holocaust, where there was a possibility to fight or to run away, and in the beginning people didn't do it because they thought this is what Hashem wants us that, uh, to do and this is how it has to happen, it was unfortunate. So always the, the bottom line, maybe the conclusion of what we're doing, what we said is that when we read the Midrashim and the interpretation of the rabbis, we have to always see them in the historical context, both what they said and what they didn't say. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 